Hello and welcome to Views from the Market, Mid-Market Private Equity and M&A in Canada. My name is Mario Negro. I'm a partner in the Private Equity and M&A Group at Stackman Elliott. For today's podcast, I'd like to welcome our special guests, Garrett Klein and Elling Dallin. Garrett and Elling are the founders and partners of Cassiar Partners. Cassiar is a private investment fund that does deals in the lower middle market and middle market and focuses on uh, majority positions and, and owning companies and growing them and, and selling. Garrett, Elling, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us, Mario. Yeah, thanks for having us, Mario. Well, I'd like to start first by just talking a little bit about yourselves um, and about the fund. And what's great about your story is, I mean, Cassiar is a newer fund, uh, about a year old, and uh, you've already done two deals. Um, tell us a little bit about you and the fund, and, and uh, we'll go from there. So I'd love to, to start there. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's Ellen here. Maybe I'll kick it off on the, the personal side and hand it over to Garrett to talk about himself, and then we'll give you a quick overview of uh, sort of what we're doing at Cassiar. Um, I guess I guess to kick it off, so I'm actually a West Coast uh, Canadian guy, so from from BC, and went to went to UBC, did a double degree in finance and real estate. Um, that's actually where Garrett and I met. We we lived together in our fourth year of university, and then I mean, ultimately after university, I went and I worked for a smaller private equity fund in, in the Lower Mainland there, and then I I spent about a year and a half there, and and, and moved to JP Morgan and spent uh, in Calgary and spent. Uh, almost four years with them, which was awesome. And then I ultimately made a move to Ballyasney in New York, which is, uh, I think, around a $7 billion hedge fund there covering the industrial space. And I guess uh, by way of a background, you know, having the corporate background, um, learning the M&A space and, and, and ultimately having like the education and, and everything, you know, that could lead to the success within the space. It, it was sort of a, a pretty unique situation after spending a couple of years at the hedge fund. Uh, and then, COVID kicked off, Garrett and I were in discussions about potentially going out and buying a business. And it sort of was the the kicker for us to initiate this. And now I'll, I'll hand it over to Garrett to talk about himself, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll go into sort of our strategy right after that. Yeah, so Garrett here, uh, similar background to Elling, I'm a small town BC boy, uh, grew up on the West Coast, uh, did my undergraduate degree at UBC, like Elling said, the same uh, finance real estate uh, double uh, degree program. Uh, I graduated from UBC, came out to Toronto, spent three years with uh, TD Investment Bank, uh, covering financial institutions for about a year and a half at that time, and then financial sponsors for about a year and a half. Um, left TD, spent time with two private equity firms, one of which was doing uh, buyouts of generally high-growth healthcare assets across North America, uh, and then the second was a fast-growing uh, secondaries platform in the private equity space. Um, about a year ago, as you mentioned, Mario, about a year ago, we kicked off Cassiar, and this was a, a firm and a vision that had actually been in the works for a number of years. Uh, Elling and I, old friends, close friends, um, had been chatting about going to buy an asset personally in the kind of like small cap Canadian space uh, and quite a small asset. And then uh, it was sort of the onset of COVID that made us treat that idea a little bit more seriously. Um, and the dynamics around COVID where there's still a lot of companies coming to market in the space and we were seeing that in the uh, kind of outreach and, and research that we were doing uh, combined with a lot of buyers by our assessment a little bit skittish with doing a transaction during COVID um, was sort of the, the, the kick in the butt we need to go do this um, and so we ended up forming the strategy for Cassiar did some outreach on the investor side, uh, very quickly built a, an investor base, which we'll talk about a bit later, 
um, and, and kind of built the skeleton to go do a deal. Um, and then uh, we were very fortunate. Uh, the firm started off with a little bit of, if you were to kind of bucket into a category, you'd probably call it a search fund, albeit with a slightly different strategy. Um, we did our first transaction uh, in pretty short order after kicking off the strategy. Um, bought our first company in December of 2020, which is an industrial coatings platform uh, based in Mississauga, just outside of Toronto, Ontario. Uh, with this asset, Elling and I serve as co-CEOs of the company. Um, but where our strategy deviates from a, a little bit from the traditional search fund model is uh, we, we kept looking at and doing deals and it was uh, situational that we had the luxury of doing that. Uh, but ultimately uh, moved on to company number two and bought a uh, electrical design, engineering, and automation uh, platform in Saskatoon in July. And Cassier continues to grow and, and uh, evolve and uh, we're mid-process on a couple more assets uh, as we speak. Um, Cassier is a firm. Uh, the investment focus is not dissimilar from a lot of search funds in Canada where we're looking at good, stable, uh, long-term cash flowing businesses in the small to mid-cap space in Canada. Um, again, similar to search funds, the model is uh, any asset that we look at or touch, we're going to send Cassier resources into to run and operate the business alongside an existing management team. And that is core to our value proposition thesis. The one part that's, I'd say, probably a little bit different from us, both from a private equity standpoint and from a search fund standpoint, is uh, we've built a, a very large and close investor network, which is diverse in skill set. Uh, the investors in our deals uh, they're a, a broad mix of we have family offices, we have owners of businesses, we have operators, we have executives, we have uh, kind of folks on the board circuits, uh, we have private equity guys, hedge fund guys, lawyers, bankers, uh, etc. Um, and the it, it's a it's it's a cool situation where the investors all have signed up to play an active role in our deals, and folks are very open to being a part of the the story and the growth thesis for building companies. Um, and so we're, we're now up to 41 investors. That list grows uh, quite consistently. Um, and we've, we've put together what we kind of have as like an ecosystem for doing deals that offers a lot of strategic resources and network access to uh, the folks inside of the companies that we're buying. And I, I noticed you focus on the investors and that's kind of being a core of your strategy. And, you know, one of the things that's, uh, the, you know, obviously fascinating about uh, Cashier is you've been able to start this fund in the middle of COVID and obviously close a few deals uh, in a pandemic. But uh, as you mentioned, uh, you know, maybe the most exciting part about your fund is, is that ability to attract investors in these times. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you could talk to a little bit about your strategy when it comes to investors, what you look for. What is it about the investor base that um, uh, you know is is particularly unique for you, and and what is it about your model and your investor base that's that's key for your success? I think this is a it's a good question, and it's something that we reflect on and, and probably don't have a perfect answer to. In theory or in spirit, what's important to us in investor base is people who have diverse experience, senior experience with building, growing companies, and doing transactions, who are willing to contribute. I, I think the the nature of our investors is a lot of the folks we have long-term relationships with prior to even starting Cassiar. Uh, and so they're folks that have very fortunately believed in, in, in the team at Cassiar and are willing to put cash behind that belief. Um, but what's really nice to us is, is I'd say as an anecdote, when we stepped into Cassiar, we were finance guys who had never run a company before. 
and we had a lot to learn in a short amount of time with running a company. Um, and what we got out of the investor base was a group of people that had a lot of differing experience with running companies and operating companies. And for us, they were the probably the single greatest resource we had for learning how to operate a business in a short amount of time. Um, and when you look at the investment performance of our first two companies, um, a, a tremendous amount of success in a short amount of time, and a large part of that success is is due to the investors and their willingness to play a role in uh, building the companies. I think uh, something something I'll just add. Uh, it's, it's more of a softer piece, but when we think about our investor base, um, it's sort of like a bit of a soft piece. Like they're kind of the, they're kind of people we want to spend time with. The kind of people that can actually, you know, in lots of situations, text or call in a moment's notice, and people are available and want to be helpful. And I think that that adds a ton of value, especially as you think about stepping into a business and having, you know, you have your board of directors to look to and get get feedback from, but that if you have a wide set of investors that have a variety of skill sets and connections for like almost any business topic that you're running into, you, if you have good relationship with your, with your investors, you're going to get the feedback you need real time. Um, so it can be a pretty efficient process. And I think something particularly that we've been um, just very focused on was finding investors that, you know, have the ability to, have flexibility when it comes to what is the strat, like what direction are we going longer term and what types of deals we can look at. There's, it is nice to have some, uh, you know, a, a mandate around what type of deals we are going to do, but every seller is different. So if you have the ability to, you know, offer different solutions to sellers that, you know, you know, your investors are comfortable with those type of strategies. It's, it's a differentiating factor that I think some, some of the more traditional, uh, funds and natures, it, it becomes a little bit more difficult to do those types of things. And the last thing I'll say about, you know, who, who these people are, I think for both, for, for both of us, it's in, in our everybody involved with Cassie, are we truthfully think of the investors as, as our partners. It's, it's a really cool dynamic that, that we're excited about. And for perspective, we, when we kicked off Cassie in, in, you know, mid 2020, we had 12 investors. Uh, and we said, hey, this is, we, we feel confident we have enough to go do our first deal. Um, and then we ended up, we ended up expanding the cap table to, to 26 people ahead of closed because it was a, it was for us, it was an opportunity to go talk to some people that maybe we wouldn't normally go to get on their, uh, their calendars if we didn't have this type of thing to, to talk about. But now these people, you know, you have regular discussions with them and especially uh, it, there's a, there's a lot of value can happen that, um, but yeah, this, this kind of, I guess it doesn't really answer the how to attract, but you know, that's sort of what we look for um, when it comes to our investor base. You know, what I find fascinating about the cashier model and, and your success to date has been, you've obviously been able to attract investors and a growing number of investors to a, a space, a lower middle market space where some people will say investors aren't interested in, and you've done it multiple times in a short period of time. And I wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, the investor interest in the lower middle market. And, you know, what do you see that investors like about the space, about what you're doing, about what you offer? Yeah, I'd say the space, the space, if anybody that speaks to the space, the, the reason people stay out of the space, I think, is sort of an ego issue where there's practicalities of doing deals in this side range that doesn't work for traditional private equity funds. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, you grow up in a finance environment that likes doing big deals. 
And the idea of doing a 10 or 20 or $30 million acquisition might not light the fire for some people. For us, we're doing deals at purchase prices and with capital structures that are, I think it's fair to say, far more attractive than what you find in most pockets of private equity elsewhere in the world, including in North America. And so by design, our deals are going to be higher returning deals than you find in traditional private equity. So I, I think when you kind of get over the, the stigma of doing deals in this small cap space and you see the return and the growth potential of these companies, there's a lot to get excited about. Um, and, and then the other piece that becomes quite interesting is from a personal fulfillment standpoint, and this is something that we reflect on and talk about a lot, building a company and seeing value creation happen very quickly in a meaningful way is a very fulfilling thing to be a part of. And we see that day in, day out as co-CEOs of the business, but our, I think our investors also see that. And the teams and the advisory teams and, and the partners and the everybody else that, that's been supporting us in this journey sees the potential for value creation space. And it's, it's quite an exciting proposition. And it's it's Elling Harold's at a, at a couple of little points, but I think, you know, just generally speaking, if you compare the space that we're competing in, the just lower to middle market space, you know, if you compare that to some some larger private equity deals, it's you know, it's a you know, it kind of goes without saying, but you know, the space is generally trade for lower multiples. Um, there's generally, I think, the competitive landscape for other other buyers is not as uh, as fierce within this space. So I think it is a space that you know, there's there's a there's a lot of uh, opportunity and it's not necessarily low-hanging fruit, but relative to other spaces and other spaces where investors can allocate their dollars, it's one that um, you know from like a amount of IQ points chasing uh, alpha return. <laughs> there's a lot of opportunity compared to you know if you were to go invest in the public markets. And I also think um, something else that investors like, especially not only about the strategy, but about what the area specifically that we're into and it was something specific that we focused on with our strategy is, is you know, if you compare a Canada to the U.S., um, you know, the amount of opportunities up here, I think, is, is pretty, like, there's obviously opportunities in both areas a lot, but I think the, the landscape here is that the supply is potentially higher relative to the amount of um, buyers out there. And just something more on, the, you know, what investors like, you know, I would say as we went out and marketed our deals, the more we could talk about like us having boots on the ground and getting our hands dirty and stepping in and, you know, value creation. Like those are the things that I think investors really want to hear because this strategy is successful on, you know, putting some new blood into some industries that are, there's all sorts of different types of strategies, but our strategy is, you know, put, put the new blood into some of these older, more, I'd say blue collar or grassroots in nature type businesses and, and really just, you know, um, changing the path the growth path relative to history that's that's our view and i think it's pretty pretty attractive for investors and one of the other things i've noticed uh for cassiar that you've been able to do even in a short period of time is not only do you have you built out your investor base but they're repeat uh, and they're they're not necessarily just institutional you've really brought in a, a diverse set of investors uh, and frankly probably more of them are high net worth individuals or accredited investor types than even in the institution. So you've been successful at kind of getting a whole array uh, of investors. But what has that meant for you in terms of, of the fund and where you can go from here when you have this kind of broad base of investors? Yeah, it's funny. Um, we, For anybody that doesn't know, Mario is also a lawyer and was involved very early stages for us at Cassiar. 
And some of the early conversations we had is where, where do we want to go for capital? Um, and we were probably stubbornly adamant that we didn't want institutional capital. We wanted the, the bulk of the capital and the bulk of the, the investors to be uh, private investors of varying sorts. Um, and for us, it, it, just, it speaks to the value proposition of having people engaged and also willing to, to look at things with a creative and flexible lens to let us find value that, that because of structure and rigidity and uh, fund mandates and stuff, other investors don't have the luxury of, of, of going after. Yeah, and I think um, something, something from day one with all of our investors, we've been very clear that we are going to be boots on the ground, 100% engaged and, you know, focus on creating value at, you know, our first acquisition with Garrett and I, Garrett and I are co-CEOs. But the cool thing about our strategy that, that we've been very explicit about with, our, with, about with our investors is any other deal that we bring to the table, like not only are we going to be comfortable with the merit of the deal itself, but the type of people that we're bringing to the table to be, you know, potential operators, it's, they're individuals that are not a, very dissimilar to us by background. And I think the, the investor base has really liked that strategy because there's multiple ways you could skin the cat with this, but I think, you know, bringing someone, someone we've committed to, to basically sending anybody with that we're bringing to the table and backing as Cassiar, like we're putting our own reputations on, on the line for that. And I think, I think it's something that, you know, has allowed to generate that repeat investor base um, just because they have the confidence in, you know, what we're saying and what we're delivering. Yeah. The other, the other thing that goes with it too, and this is kind of for anybody that's looking to build out a private equity strategy is early success can make a huge impact for momentum and, and getting folks involved. And this is not nothing uh, special about us, but we've, we've had a, probably an, an abnormal amount of early success with the operating of these companies. And so that's just a, it's a nudge for anybody entering this space, which is don't think about the long-term success. Your mission day one is to, to figure out how to build a company. Um, all of your resources need to go into that. And once you've proven you, you know how to do it and you can start figuring out what uh, habits, trends, behavioral traits, uh, decisions, et cetera, lead to sort of like a better operational mandate and ability to grow a company. You can start focusing on the bigger picture, but day one, your mission is to build a company. Um, and, and we've been very fortunate to have a lot of success with that early on. And, and just, you know, for our audience, I know you created uh, a limited partnership where the investors invested in the first fund, your initial investors for your first deal, Cassiar, uh, sorry, for, for Cassiar uh, Colorific. But then you invested a sec, you created a separate LP, which, uh, you know, wasn't tied to the first LP. And that limited partnership, the second one brought in uh, another slate of investors. And what's interesting, uh, I think, from a, the perspective is your your investors were keen to see you do more. And I think from what I understand, are keen to actually see you out there and, and you know, not only continuing to build the companies that you own, but actually find other opportunities. And, and so yeah. I mean, what are the role of the investors in guiding you in terms of your growth strategy? I mean, how, how are they playing out in terms of leading your path in terms of where you want to go for Cassiar? absolutely critical to not only allowing us to do that, but encouraging us to do that. Um, I think like when it came down to that decision, we were very upfront with all of our investors before taking any capital that we wanted to build Cassiar into a platform. We did not just want to do a single deal, albeit when you make that commitment, it has to be on the terms that you've delivered a positive outcome on the first deal and the first, second deal, third deal, before you get the luxury of, of building something into more of a traditional fund. Um, but when it came down to those decisions, uh, 
we had a group of folks that, you know, they, they knew it was coming. They knew eventually we would be doing a second deal. Uh, this one came a lot quicker than any, anybody anticipated, including us. But when we started having the conversations with investors, uh, we were very pleasantly surprised where the feedback was not, you know, focus on company number one, what are you guys doing? It was very much, you know, we've seen this model can work. We trust you guys. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think on their side, putting cash into our deals is, is one of the better investment uh, sort of return profiles that they found. Um, and, and so we had a lot of encouragement and even kind of kicking in the butts to say, let's get going. Let's find more opportunities to play capital because this, this, uh, this structure of the system seems to be working. Yeah, and, and, and something is selling here, I'll just add is, you know, upfront, kind of like going back to the point of the way we communicated it to investors is we, we, you know, we want to do multiple deals upfront. And even when it comes to all the structuring we did upfront with uh, like how, how our LPs are organized and, and the structure that we, that we have is basically if we want to go do another deal, the documentation, the structure, everything, it's uh, its not to say it's cookie gunner going to be the same every time, but we were thoughtful in advance so that we did the upfront work so that when we went to go do multiple deals, um, it, you know, like LP1, LP2 can be a little bit of brain damage, but, you know, if you create a structure that has easy, can be easily replicated, it actually can, I think in our situation, it can create a lot of uh, efficiency gains. But the other piece to it is, um, the nice thing about having do it, uh, doing it on a deal by deal basis like this is number one, like, you know, and every investor has their different uh, goals and we're not, our strategy is not a portfolio manager saying we're going to put it all into this. Uh, you know, we're going to allocate your money to all these different areas. It, you know, the nice thing is we're basically bringing deals and people can say the people can manage their own personal situations and decide if they want to invest in these, which I think, for some investors, like compared to investing in a fund, can can be uh, uh, pretty attractive. And then, I think you know, ultimately, we'll, we'll see where we go as it relates to doing deal by deal versus fund. There's obviously a lot of pros and cons to consider. But the nice thing about doing it this way is, like, have pressure to deploy capital, so we can be quite opportunistic with what we look at. And I do think in situations, you know. If you're pressured to do stuff for the sake of deploying capital, then you know it can lead to, you know, just dynamics that we 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 see a lot of value in not having that pressure, and maybe one day that we see value in it. But um, I think that like that structure is those are kind of the, the pros I'd I'd flag. I want to ask you before we go uh, a question about where you see the markets going. I always ask our guests and you know in your case particularly we're seeing a continual growth of uh individuals like yourselves who create funds where you seek investors to do deal on a deal by deal basis it seems to be growing it seems to be well recognized in the market we're seeing banks we're seeing more investors we're seeing a lot of deal flow where where do you see the market going for for your space uh for deal flow for for the activity that you do the infamous mario negro crystal ball question Crystal ball. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Crystal ball time. Uh, I think anybody in this space would tell you that most nobody knows where it's going to end, but everyone knows where it's going because the direction is so clear. There's a, a lot of successes being being found in the space by a lot of different folks. And the market is just, just starting to be built up. When you look at the trends around succession dynamics for small to mid-sized enterprises in Canada, the major the vast majority of businesses are owned by uh, retirement or retirement plus age individuals. 
And the number of those individuals that have succession plans is significantly below 50%. And so the writing's on the wall, there's going to be a, a very material trans transfer of business ownership from long-term founder owner operators to some form of purchaser. And uh, for us, there's it's a huge opportunity to step up and, and, and be one of the individuals or one of the groups that are gonna take ownership of these businesses. The business transition is gonna happen and some businesses will shut down as a result of it. Some will find good long-term homes. Some will find probably poor long-term homes. Um, but as long as there's this, this sort of wave of business coming to market and the space is undercapitalized or does not have enough folks stepping up to operate these businesses, there's going to be a, a large opportunity to make money. Um, and I think as long as there's an opportunity to make outsized returns, you're gonna see more and most, more folks come to the space. And I, I think it's kind of two pieces. One is who's doing the deals and running the companies and that market is growing quite quickly. The second piece is on the capital side. And I'd say from, from a lender perspective, there's a very healthy credit market for these deals that's very supportive. And I think they're, they're you know, their schedule A bank lenders that have had good success in the space. And then on the equity side, I, th I think folks, uh, both in the private equity space, as well as other professions and business ownership and such, are starting to hear about deals that happen in the space um, and, and hearing stories of, of very big wins. Um, and so the capital, it feels like the capital is flooding in. I think most people would say like, the issue is not finding capital, the issue is picking the right investors to, to build out a, a company uh, in partnership with. And uh, as we've done probably six or seven times now, it's <laughs> like, I'll just add a couple, couple incremental thoughts here. Um, very much agree with all of the points Garrett had, but basically, in my opinion, I think you could, one could say like the, the amount of activity in 2021 is abnormal. Um, but the, the thing I would say, my, from the research we did ahead of launching, the long-term strategy here is, you know, this isn't a one-year phenomena with, with sellers, uh, you know, looking for succession alternatives. This, our view is this is like a wave that's going to be, you know, hitting over the next decade. And, uh, you know, cycles can happen in decades. But I think in the near term, some of the uncertainty in the market, especially in, in the, just the global economy, really, you know, with the, the pandemic and with, you know, where people wondering where interest rates are going, the just political uncertainty. It is, I, I do think that that's driving some sellers to consider selling when, you know, when they think about the, the outlook, especially if you look a couple of years out, you know, maybe interest rates go up, you know, that could, couldn't cause a damper on access to capital. So, you know, I think a lot of these people are realizing that and, and kind of taking that to, as an opportunity to, to strike while the iron's hot. And, um, you know, the other thing I think right now, like with global PMIs, where they are and uh, and the amount of activity going on in the economy, I think on the buyer side, there's there's less there's less worry about, you know, a material downside compared to other scenarios, just given how, how strong um, some of those PMIs are, which are leading indicators for, for like, I'll just say manufacturing growth. And then uh, in, in those drive, like, a lot of things so i say it's manufacturing but it drives so many sectors within the economy and then uh the last thing i'll say is as examples like this podcast even it's you know so, there's gonna there's a lot of people interested in the strategy and i do think especially in canada as more and more people become aware of it and it gains more and more momentum um 
it's this is going to be a natural movement where this space becomes more and more competitive i i believe and and and, and mari i'm sure you're you're seeing this too and uh we'd love to hear or we can chat about it later but that's those three points are kind of uh incremental to what garrett said and was driving uh longer term activity in this space garrett belling i want to thank you for joining us uh, i I hear the excitement of the opportunities to come. So uh, it's 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 great to have you be in the market and great to see the success of Cassier. And thank you for joining us today and sharing that with us. Uh, we, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you. The same on our side, Mara. You've been an instrumental piece of our success, as have a lot of people. And uh, for us, it's it's uh, it's the first year down and the first lap around the sun, but we've got a lot to come and it's going to be a, it's going to be a, a bumpy and fun and wild ride. So thank you. <laughs> Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I will say for, for anybody listening, this this like feel free to reach us reach out to us to chat anytime. We're uh, we're always looking for, to, to, to meet new people and grow in the space. So thanks again, Mario. Thank you.